Hello and welcome to another episode of the Good Journey Pod. I am your host, Brady Josephson. Uh, Every week I get to chat with thought leaders, innovators, and marketers in this world of good. We get to hear more about their stories and experiences and hopefully it will help you as you go about your wonderful life. On today's show, I'm joined by Sarah Durham. She's the author of the book Brand Raising and founder of Big Duck. She's also a total communications nerd, her words, not mine. In this episode, we talk a bit about her starting Big Duck and uh, what it means to be a certified woman-owned business. We talk about what brand means and its value to nonprofit organizations, as well as how to measure them and Big Duck's uh, brand-amazing benchmarks. That's a lot of bees in there. Anyways, uh, Sarah's brilliant and is great, and I hope you enjoy the conversation and episode. Thanks for listening. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Brady. Thanks for having me. So you started Big Duck in 1994. What led you to start your own agency? Yeah, it was like it was like the dark ages, and I was 10 <laughs> years old. Um, well, actually, you know, in in, in the mid 90s, it was a really interesting time because um, it was the rise of the digital world, um, both creatively with with digital tools like Quark Express uh, happening, and also online. It was pre social media, but People were actually building websites, and communications was really changing. And um, I had grown up in advertising, and Mm. I saw this opportunity for nonprofits to use communications in a smarter, more sophisticated way. And um, so I just did it. I was young and naive. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's... It's amazing. When I saw that you started in 94, I was thinking, my gosh, what have you seen? Because, you know, a lot of the stuff that I see still is like, man, we have so far to go still with digital and still with communication. So I can't imagine what you've been (laughs) seeing since then. Yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy, you know, 20 plus years, but I have to say a really exciting 20 plus years because Mm. things are changing. And we, I, I, the way I see it is we're the generation who gets to kind of figure a lot of this stuff out for the first mm. time. So for me, it's been really an energizing ride. I think if, if, the, uh, if the world we lived in were a little bit more static, um, I probably wouldn't still be doing this. It's, it's that change and, and um, the opportunity to create and innovate that, that actually keeps me really, really fired up about a lot of this work. Right. Yeah. No, that's cool. I'm sure we could spend a whole podcast just talking about (laughs) what you've seen in digital. But I want to talk more about brand. Uh, Before we get there, the other thing I noticed about Big Duck is um, it's a certified woman-owned business. And I don't think I'd run into that before. Can you just tell me what that is and and why you pursued that as a a business owner? Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a classification. I'm not sure if it's run at the state level or the federal level for women and uh, minority-owned businesses. And Hmm. You have to go through a rather tedious certification process. Um, you would think that, you know, looking at the articles of incorporation and my driver's license would probably be all you need to do, but it's actually <laughs> a lot more than that. Um, but after you do that, as a as a woman or a minority-owned business, you actually become eligible for all kinds of state and federal contracts mm. and um, all kinds of stuff. So I did it because I'm proud to be a woman-owned business. I think it's still relatively unusual and uh and it seemed like it would open up some some other doors that's very cool yeah and and, uh another chat i was having um one of the weird things that i found in the in the sector is that there's you know the nonprofit industry especially fundraising it's largely driven by women yet 
women in, in leadership is very common. Uh, and then even agency side, there's a lot of men running agencies serving nonprofits. So there's a, there's a big yeah. gap. I'm sure you could go on <laughs> more than. <laughs> That's another topic we should talk about. Yeah. yeah. I actually <laughs> led, led a panel discussion on exactly that on women's leadership okay. and fundraising at the international mm. fundraising conference uh, a few years ago, because it's true. The vast majority of fundraisers and, and staff people in nonprofits are women. Um, most yeah. of our clients here at Big Duck are women, but yet, uh, but they don't always occupy those top seats, and a lot of the agencies that serve them are not women. So um, we have fun with that. It's good stuff. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you do. Um, cool. Well, we've got two other podcasts that we can tape, uh, but moving into today, I want to talk about brand because that's that's really where I've kind of watched from a distance in terms of your work and Big Duck is really been centered around your work around brands. Um, and it's also an area that I have some opinions, but I'm not super educated on. So here we go. Um, what, how do you define uh, brand and, and how did you land on that as kind of one of your core areas of focus? Yeah, I mean, for nonprofits, the way I find it sort of easiest to explain what a brand is, is a brand is a nonprofit's voice. It's hmm. what, what the audiences you're trying to reach hear, see, think, and feel or the impression that, that is formed um, as a result of their experiences with you. So, so oftentimes, I think, I think back in the 90s, for instance, when I started this business, when, when nonprofits heard the word brand, they thought, well, that's for corporations, that's not for me. Right. Or they maybe thought it was their logo. Um, yeah. These days, I think nonprofits are smarter about branding and the, the potential for thinking about your brand as a way to differentiate yourself from peer organizations. But um, but I think it's helpful just to think of it as your voice, whether or not you are proactive or, or deliberate in how you shape it and how you use it, you have one, you have a brand. And yeah. the opportunity for nonprofits is actually to leverage it as a strategic tool to advance your mission. Mm, I like that. I like that definition. And, and yeah, part of the reason why I have strong opinions on brand is that a lot of people just put on the auspices of their logo, maybe how their website looks. Um, maybe they get into to messaging, but even that, it just seems like the much more valuable thing is that experience that people are left with, which is a function of the voice and how they see your website. But uh, you can have the best looking website in the world and a terrible brand and that kind of disconnect Absolutely. that can happen um, is, is where I've seen a lot of organizations pay a lot of money and not come out the better for it in terms of their, you know, their branding, because it's just been you know, lipstick on a pig or whatever. Um, exactly, exactly. So and, and, you know, if you think about the experience, like, uh, for instance, let's say an organization wants to be perceived as, as welcoming and friendly and engaging and hospitable. Mm -hmm. But when I call your organization, I get trapped in yeah. some sort of horrific voicemail system where I can never get a live human being on the phone. That's a brand experience, right? So yeah. every touch point we have with people um, shapes their impressions of us. And, that, and that's, and that's, that's what our brand is composed of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, the organizations that I, I really love is called um, Next After. It's like a research consultancy uh, out of Texas. But they did a study where they, they called, um, I think it was like 80 organizations. And they called them, they email messaged them, they like filled out an online form. Um, and they, they asked the same question, basically, like, hey, you know, I'm looking to support. Why should I support you compared to some other organization? And they were both tracking, like, the answers that people gave to see, like, do you have an answer to this kind of pretty simple question of why should I give to you? Um, and how do the answers differ across the channels? 
And so it was this really interesting study and there's, uh, I encourage people to read it, but the big takeaway was there's a lot of just like non-response, <laughs> like 30% of people didn't even respond to someone who's actively saying, I'd like to make a donation. Why should I give to you? And to heard nothing back, you know, wow. and it's like, man, fundraising is so hard already to, to not be able to respond to someone like that is like, we're just, we're shooting ourselves in the foot here. And that's brand, you know, that's why donors get angry. Absolutely. That's sort of the low, the low hanging fruit. I mean, if, <laughs> if you're not, if you're not um, proactively and mindfully mm. communicating with donors, with prospects, with clients, with policymakers, um, you're not developing relationships and you need relationships and good relationships in order to achieve the mission. It all, it all ladders right back to the mission. So maybe a um a sub point there. One of the things that I've I've seen with with organizations is there's often like um almost like two different kind of voices or brands. There's kind of like the major gift, you know, behind closed doors brand and then there's like the public kind of facing experience and often those messages are like pretty pretty different. Do you do you see that? Do you run into that with organizations kind of having a um multiple voices or brands um depending on I, kind of I the do. audience or donor? I do, you know, and, and there's, there's kind of two levels at which I, I see that. One level is, is one at which I think it's unsuccessful. And that's this kind of, um, that's when you've got different voices that you're using because you imagine that your target audiences can't be spoken to the same way. So, um, so for instance, one target audience might be younger people, who you're trying to engage. Another audience might be older donors who've supported your work for a long time. And sometimes that's the, that, that can be the disconnect you're describing with major gifts or other mm -hmm. givers. Um, and, and sometimes the nonprofit thinks that there is no way to strike a consistent tone or, or communicate evenly to those two audiences, which in my experience is actually inaccurate. It's not true. Hmm. Um, but there are organizations who um, who communicate a little differently with their target audiences in ways that are very sophisticated, that are more based on on research and segmentation, right. sure. uh, and and kind of more thoughtful, you know, planning. So so that's the good the good reason to do it. I would say if you yeah. if you've really got it buttoned up and you know how they're different and you're not necessarily adjusting your tone, but adjusting the messages you're using to be audience centric. Yeah. Or the other um, divide, and I don't know how much you dive into this with your clients, is there's often kind of a gap between maybe like the, the marketing fundraising side and like the service uh, kind of program side. And so like I'm working with a client right now where, you know, we can come up with great messaging and visuals and, you know, like the, the front facing stuff. But deep at the core, it's like your work on the ground. It's an international organization is like we we can't just make up your impact. Like <laughs> you're either mm -hmm. providing great service and generating useful metrics and stories or you're not. And there's, there's nothing that, you know, outside brand consultants can really do, but that's part of the brand as well. It definitely is. And that's one of the reasons why the, the, the kind of understanding and support um, of senior leadership is so important mm. if you're trying to align your organization around a new brand, because, mm. because the, all those departments um, have to be woven together into a cohesive whole. And if you don't have the senior leadership support, then, you know, as you said earlier, it's, it can be kind of lipstick on the pig or we talk mm -hmm. one way over here, but what we actually do over there is very different. We create a lot right. of 
brand disconnects along the way. Right. So what what are um what are some kind of common traits amongst organizations that have great brands or or what what makes a great brand uh, in your experience? Well, I think we've just touched on a couple of them. I mean, one one of them, arguably the the most important thing is consistency. It's it's mm. speaking with one organizational voice in some proactive and organized way. So organizations with with really I think effective brands, and when I say effective, I mean you know they're able to communicate in a way that that helps them raise money, um, engage people programmatically, you know, uh, engage in advocacy. Those organizations have taken the time to really think about how they want to communicate, who they want to communicate with, and they've developed tools to do that and trained their staff proactively to do it. Um, many of them also have people in-house who are kind of brand coaches or brand mm. czars or brand police who <laughs> are responsible for, for looking at that across departments and coaching people so that the experiences feel um, not only authentic, but aligned and consistent. Um, mm. You know, I think an, another attribute that um, smart, you know, well-branded nonprofits have is um, – is they have a, a culture of leadership support and of um, minimal change over the long run. So, mm-hmm. so for instance, there's this kind of impulsiveness that sometimes people have to create new logos for anniversaries or, mm-hmm. or new this or new that. Kind of like, you know, if we change it, it will get their attention. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the strategy. But actually, that's that's proven to be pretty ineffective. And if you look at the corporate world, major, major corporations with a lot more money to spend on marketing and communications than most right. nonprofits have, like McDonald's, for instance, or Coca-Cola, they don't change things all the time. They actually know that consistency is the backbone of brand awareness. Um, so, hmm. um, so having a leader who really understands that and, um, and enforces you know, let's not change for change's sake. Let's let's change to get it right, and then let's really try to keep things steady and consistent. It's another yeah. another common thread. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, that kind of consistency, or even when those major brands do do something, you know, radical, it's actually very, very incremental. I saw some, you know, like the evolution of um, like logos over the years, and for the most part. You know, not again, not again, not, not that brands or logos, but even the like major changes, right, to their visual identities, like a tiny tweak, you know. Uh, but for the most part, it's very, very uh, consistent. And um, do, do you think part of that kind of change is that you know nonprofits are so um, desperate for attention or desperate for funds that it's kind of like, um, well, we'll take a shot here or something like that. Or like, why, why do we have this impulse to, to change something that is so fundamentally valuable? But sometimes I think that's it. I think it's a, you know, a desire to, to spark some interest by making a change. Mm. Um, sometimes I think it actually is, is really more just, just because there's a, a new person on staff who mm. has a creative vision or um, wants to do something new. Sometimes you know, people inside an organization or a business get kind of sick of doing the same stuff all the time, looking at the right. same stuff all the time, sure. using that logo, using that messaging. It's a little tedious. Um, mm. You know, we, we often tell our clients just when you're starting to get really sick of it is probably when it's starting to work externally. <laughs> um, so so the point of, of um, change is not to, to keep yourself entertained, you know, <laughs> right. 
Right. Um, it's to to actually you know reach the target audience and have them get where you want them to go in terms of their perceptions of you, and that really takes time. And it and in in, in a way, it's a tedious business, you know, to do it well. Yeah. No, that's a really good point too, because um, yeah, a lot of times people go, "Oh, our donors, our donors are sick of hearing you know this message," and it's like, well, especially via email, like a quarter of them or three quarters of them didn't even open that email. So, you know, the number of them that are going to remember and donors aren't sitting at home be like, oh, I think they sent me something similar along these lines six months ago. Like that's not happening. Exactly. But for us, we heard it every day. You remember. (laughs) They don't for sure. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. What you're talking about in marketing terms is called the law of effective frequency. And it it basically um, Mm. is this piece of theory that says that um, you have to, basically hit somebody over the head with the same message over and over and over again a certain number of times before they actually start paying attention to it or hear it. That's why if you watch one hour of television, you'll likely see the same commercials over and over and over again in that hour. Mm, Because you don't just see that commercial once and pay attention to it and remember it. You actually have to see it like 50 times or 100 times before you might even consciously notice it. Um, So yeah, consistency is a is actually a strategic tool. Um, so one of the things that, that you guys have uh, developed is kind of this brand raising uh, benchmark to kind of try to maybe quantify the value of, of brand or put some more kind of, um, you know, objective metrics behind brand. Or tell me more about the, the, brand, the brand raising benchmark um, and, what, and why you did it. Yeah, well, the brand raising benchmark emerged from a couple of frustrations that my colleagues at Big Duck and I shared over the years. Um, you know, our clients tend to be um, mid-size and large nonprofits, often they're national or international. And um, and because many of our clients are established and, and bigger, many of them will uh, will have budgets to do research, you know, audience research. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually when, when our clients do research, they're spending an awful lot of money, you know, $20,000, $50,000, maybe even more. Um, and it's a big investment, takes a lot of time. And that's the kind of research that turns out to be super helpful. It helps you develop things that are much smarter and much more likely to be effective. Um, but it's not the kind of research you can do regularly. Even if you're a large organization, you're not going to spend that kind of money more than every mm. few years at most. And for smaller mm. organizations, there's almost never any any budget to do market research. So um, so over the past many years, you know, our work often follows or integrates strategic planning. And in a lot of strategic plans, we see organizations set goals and objectives like raise awareness or become a household name or make sure that everybody who lives in right. our you know, particular area knows who we are and accesses our services. But those same organizations rarely can actually afford to measure that, to know mm. um, if they want to raise awareness, what their levels of awareness are like today so that they will actually be able to quantify if they move the needle on that. So right. the Brand Raising Benchmark is a tool we created to help nonprofits um, you know, inexpensively um, and hopefully regularly measure awareness among the general public. Mm. And, um, and we've done it over, we've done it a bunch of times now over the past couple of years. Mostly we run it in national waves, meaning it's, it's geared for national organizations, although we have done a couple of 
more specific niche regions like a New York City mm -hmm. one. Um, but basically the way it works is it, it relies on public opinion polling and we do it collaboratively with a market research firm and we are getting a weighted sampling of Americans and we're asking them a series of questions and out of that we are able to derive four scores. A, an awareness score, or we call it a net awareness score, which basically measures if, if the public has heard of the organization. A mission affinity score, um, where we, we, we prompt them with the mission and then we give, them, give the participants a range of responses ranging from this mission is personally important to me to it's not personally important to me. Um, we give them a donor likelihood score. So we ask questions about how likely would you be to donate to this organization in the future? And then we also have a membership likelihood score. Would you be likely to join this organization in the future? So basically asking these short number of questions um, to this, you know, this national sampling gives us a whole bunch of data that a nonprofit can use to benchmark its levels of awareness and kind of you know, public engagement now so that after they've launched a big campaign or maybe rebranded mm -hmm. or maybe changed the way they spend money in external communications, they can actually go back, repeat the research, um, and because it's low cost, and see if they're, if they're moving the needle on, on those awareness objectives. Hmm. Cool. Um, what have you learned kind of through that, that project or running this multiple times, either how... Um you know, areas of opportunity for nonprofits or uh, shortcomings or, yeah, what have you kind of discovered? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the benchmark has reinforced something that we've known for years and probably a lot of people who've spent money on research know, which is, which is that research gives you a lot of useful insights, and you also have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, mm. We find that there is a phenomena called ghost awareness, that comes up a lot where, uh, where organizations that are, um, let's say, you know, either very brand new or very small, often people will claim awareness of if they have a name that sounds like something you should know about. Right, um, right. As, as, a, as a firm that does branding for nonprofits, it's actually made us um, more likely to advocate that in a nonprofit in a name change situation, go with a name that's very straightforward because people feel they've heard of you before, if, if their oh, name sort of sounds recognizable. Um, hmm. The other interesting trend we've observed in almost every benchmark we've done is that for reasons I'm not totally clear on, men seem to claim awareness more than women. So men seem to be more likely to say they've heard of your nonprofit than women are. Um, I don't know what that's <laughs> probably, about, but yeah, there's probably something deep, deep behind that, that we don't need to get yeah, into. I don't know. I don't know what it's about, but it's interesting. We see it, we see it in, huh. in, in most of our research. Interesting. Uh, just on the, the kind of name, uh, side of things, I'm interested in, in your kind of quick, quick take again, all kinds of caveats aside, but I see a lot of names that are really long. So then they become acronyms. Or people use yeah. like um, an aspirational term, like this is Swahili for you know vision or something like that. And my my impulse and stance is that it's that's dumb, <laughs> just because no one knows <laughs> you know, what what Swahili for vision is. Like if be more simple and, and direct. And acronyms are really poor as well because they don't mean anything. Do you do you kind of is that am I on the right track for that? Am I being dumb about this? Do you, have you found some kind of generalities around things like names or brand? 
Yeah. Um, well, first of all, your point about acronyms, I think, is spot on. Um, I wrote a book called Brand Raising about five years ago, and I, I, I basically say in the book what you just said. You know, acronyms are insider speak. So mm-hmm. unless your acronym um, represents things that are um, well established in people's minds, for instance, if you're the ACLU, um, right. then an acronym is kind of empty. You know, people don't know what it means. So I, de- I, I definitely advise organizations, particularly smaller organizations, against the use of acronyms, unless you're just using it as shorthand as you sit around, you know, an internal meeting or your board meeting. Uh, but for public, I wouldn't use an acronym. In terms right. of names that are, you know, Swahili for vision or something <laughs> like that, I think that really right. depends. You know, naming sure. an organization is really, really hard because you've got to get URLs and Twitter handles and you have to kind of lock down all these variations on the name and and just about anything you can think of that sounds good is probably gone. So more and more we see organizations really kind of breaking the conventional rules. Mm. And sometimes I think that can be very effective. But um, right. But certainly, if you have a name that is not so straightforward, you have to work harder to make sure people understand what you're talking about, what the origin is, and so that's just sort of part of what you take on in that situation. Right. Or, or um, you know, slightly related. Uh, this is this is me just asking all my my brand opinions. Am I right on this? Um, <laughs> but you know, a lot of people attribute success um, to large organizations is kind of like that's why they're successful as opposed to in spite of and so an example that i've used a lot recently actually is something like the salvation army or or maybe red cross like massive massive nonprofit brands um but if you're probably naming them today um you maybe wouldn't pick red cross like red cross means something to us now because of what it's done over hundreds of years um but in terms of just like a, a pure pure name or the the symbol like the brand has come to mean something it, it's valuable because of what they've done, not because what it's called or what it looks like. Um, not, like, how do you balance some of that with some people who just want to, you know, maybe look at a successful organization and copy it without seeing that it's so much more than kind of what they can see? Yeah, well, I, do, I mean, I agree with where you're coming from. I think, I think you're right about that, too. You know, often um, when I'm giving workshops about brand raising, uh, I'll use the March of Dimes as an example of what mm. you talked about. You know, the, the March of right. Dimes was created. That name references <laughs> fundraising. But, you know, now, uh, basically 100 years after they were, they were founded, it's a name that's, that's got real equity. So you wouldn't, right. you wouldn't necessarily change it. Red Cross right. Right. and maybe Salvation Army or, you know, uh, other, other organizations uh, like that, often, you know, often what a name represents or a logo represents um, you know, our creative director at Big Duck is a really talented guy named Dan Gunderman. And, and Dan often says, you know, those kinds of names are almost like a vessel in that you, the organization, have to fill the vessel with meaning. So um, right, the, right, the name right. itself or the mark itself is, you know, is only just a part of the story. And yeah. certainly in the case of the Red Cross, the reason that's become so powerful I would say arguably is again consistency that they've been mm. using that name using that very simple logo um consistently for you know decades and decades. Right. And so that vessel has become filled with meaning and that meaning is powerful and therefore we associate that with the logo or with the name. Right. So would it be fair to say kind of like you know a great um 
a great name or kind of visual identity maybe gives you like a bigger vessel that you can fill or, or you start at a slightly higher level, but it's still mostly about filling the vessel and being consistent and, and building from it. Like a name doesn't make it by itself, right? Yes, absolutely. And and in our work, um, you know, our, our staff is composed of writers and researchers and planners and graphic designers who work collaboratively. You know, often as we're developing a brand for a nonprofit, we are thinking about the name, the tagline, the logo, the other visuals that can be used as a, as a cohesive system. So that's not, right. those aren't all the elements in the brand, but those elements sure. work together as a system. You usually don't see them in isolation. Um, right. and, and when you look at some of the most successful classic logos and names, uh, another great example of this is Nike. Um, yeah. There is a reference. There is something something there that was the springboard for it. But that Nike swoosh, you know, is only as powerful as it is today because it's got a lot of years of being used in a particular way um, mm. to communicate a particular idea. And so that's, that's the proactive work that a nonprofit has to take on in order to have a, a powerful brand association. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, hopefully that's like a, um... It's both encouraging and discouraging, I think, for nonprofits. It's, it's encouraging to know, like, just your name or your logo. Like, it's not the limiting factor, you know, of your of your brand. Your brand is so much um, bigger than that. Now, it might be, it could be a hindrance, but, you know, ultimately, it's you've got the power in your own hands. And I guess the discouraging side is you got no excuse. You know, you can't just say, oh, well, we got a bad name, so we can't raise money. Um, you know, that's that's not entirely true either, so. No, um, not at all. And they, and again, I think there are plenty of examples of people who, if they had to do it over again, they'd probably do it differently. Right. Um, but you work with what you've got. And, and I think if you think of it as a system, sometimes you can supplement an element that's not very strong or is no longer on strategy, but maybe has some equity by mm. creating something else that's clearer. You know, um, people mm. often ask me about the name of my business, Big Duck. Uh, because Big Duck is a name that is a vessel, right? It doesn't immediately tell you what it's about, and you can right, fill right. it with your own meaning. Our tagline is smart communications for nonprofits. So mm. those two things together kind of you know, modify each other. The name is a little bit more abstract and aspirational and playful. That tells yeah. you something about us. And then the tagline is very, very specific and you know, um, gives you a much clearer sense of what we do. So you can, you can play with the elements in that system to find balance and to draw out different aspects of your brand strategy. That's a, that's a great point. You know, I'm, I'm definitely no, no brand person, but one of the people I worked with who is more of a brand person, one of their kind of general rules of thumb is basically what you said there. If, if your name is very specific, then your tagline or something can offset it and be more kind of vague and aspirational or vice versa. But you don't want both to be very direct and specific or definitely not both to be vague and have no idea what you're talking about but that concept yeah. of of system and how these things can work together um to to paint a better or clearer picture overall is is a neat uh i, I like that term the system analogy there Good. I'm glad. cool well i'm sure i could keep asking you <laughs> questions uh, sorry what was that i well i hope it's useful i mean i you know i think i think for most nonprofits. Um, these are these are conversations that are uh, just outside of the kind of work that that nonprofit leaders do every day, and mm. um, and they can be challenging for that reason. This you know doing doing work on your nonprofit's brand 
is working on your business and and right. many people spend most of their time working in the business and it's hard to pause hmm. you know all that stuff that has to go on every day to to work on it um but there are there are a lot of i think really straightforward and pragmatic tools you can use to do that so i hope it's helpful yeah no definitely well and that's why you know people like yourself and organizations like big duck exist because not everyone has the the knowledge time or capacity to to do that in house so they can just work with you <laughs> exactly we are here and even if if we're we're not the right fit for you for whatever reason or maybe you've got some great you know other people you want to work with our our blog uh which mm -hmm. is on our website bigduckNYC.com. Uh, it, we have a whole insights area that's full of, you know, free content, eBooks, recorded videos, all kinds of stuff. So in addition to the work we do for clients, because our clients are, you know, usually a bit bigger, we produce right. a lot of content that we like to share really broadly because we want to make sure that, um, you know, nonprofits of all shapes and sizes with worthy missions, you know, have the tools they need to communicate effectively. It's super critical. Yeah, one well, is very valuable, and I know I, I've accessed a bunch of those when it comes to brands. So thanks for sharing all those. Um, well, thanks so much for for giving so much of your time and sharing about um, your experience and brand. Uh, you mentioned the blog, but where else can people find out about you and or Big Duck? Yeah, I mean the best thing to do to find out about Big Duck or to 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 find out more about the brand raising benchmark, if that's a tool you're interested in, is to visit our website, which is BigDuckNYC.com. You can see examples of our work, our client list. Under services, you'll find the brand raising benchmark. Under insights, you'll find uh, a lot of free content. And under events, you'll see a list of upcoming workshops and webinars we're giving. Many of them are free. Many of them are online. And the members of our team travel a lot. So we might even be in your backyard. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks again. And keep up the great work. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Brady. Thanks again for listening to The Good Journey Pod, a nonprofit supply company production. Be sure to subscribe and get all the past, present, and future podcasts at thegoodjourneypod.com. And you can get more resources and exclusive content by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Nonprofit Supply. Good luck on your good journey. <laughs>